Let's lift our hands. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your people that are here. Thank you for the way you are working and ministering in our lives. Thank you for the way that you are teaching and instructing us in this season. I pray, Father, for an anointing over my life. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to just be poured out in every person as we minister the word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Come with me to John's Gospel. John chapter 8. May seem like a strange place to start, but we'll end up in a good place. John chapter 8, verse uh, 52. If you don't have uh, your Bible with you, you can just listen. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say, whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. (laughs) But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced. At the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. And you are, and they respond, they say, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So we'll trust the Lord to add his blessing to his word. Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning about owning your power. There is something uh, about uh, religion that teaches us to surrender our power. As though God, the Almighty, is somehow threatened by the fact that we have some. <laughs> or that He gave us some. And we have created so many mental concepts of separation for people uh, that we have lost sight of the fact that what God has done for us is create a union between us and Him. So that, so that it's never us independent of God. It's never us separate from God. It's always God with us or God in us. That's what we celebrate at the Christmas story. If you remember in Matthew's Gospel when it says that Jesus, when, when, uh, Mary is learning about giving birth to Jesus, uh, the angel says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. And so what Jesus did was he demonstrated a life of union, what it's like for a human being to fully maximize who they are as a son or a daughter of God, to fully maximize who they are as a divine being that is also a human being. Because remember, even before Jesus, even before redemption, that when God made man, he made them in his image and after his likeness and that they came from his breath. He formed our body from the dust of the ground and then he took of his own essence. He took of what was deep, most deeply 
uh, his and of his life, and he gave it to us. He breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. So he put a divine spark or a divine flame or a divine breath inside of Adam. So if you understand God, let me use a couple metaphors to help me get the point across. If we understand God as a a blazing fire, right? The Bible says he's an all-consuming fire. If we understand him, if you think about in your mind a blazing bonfire, then you need to understand that as human beings, we are sparks out of that fire. We're not the full fire, but we are flames in that fire. We are sparks in that fire. If he breathed into us the breath of life, understand that As you and I breathe, we don't take in the whole atmosphere. (laughs) Aren't you glad? Okay, let me say that again. I know it's a silly metaphor, but think about it. Aren't you glad that there's not one person who just takes in the whole atmosphere when they breathe? Because if they did, there would be nothing left for you, right? So, but, But your breath is there because it's part of the atmosphere, right? But it's not the whole atmosphere. So if God breathed into us a part of himself, then we are a part of him, though we are not him in his fullness. So he's both... Uh, uh, transcendent, meaning uh, around us in the same way that our air is around us and, and uh, everywhere that we go, and yet it's also within us, and there's this exchange that's taking place. So that God is both transcendent and God is imminent. But what Jesus came to do more than anything was to empower us to realize our own divine potential and our own divine nature. Now, I know that's hard for us as Western Christians who have been programmed by religion to give away our power. I know that's very hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to hear, but nevertheless, it is the truth. Jesus, in John's Gospel, he said this. He said, the works that I do, you shall do Also, and greater works than these, because I go to my Father. In that day you will know that I am in you, and the Father is in me, and you're in me, and I'm in the Father. He he makes these incredible statements of union, so that there is no separation between us and God. So the way that this works is that in our deepest, in our deepest essence, our deepest levels of awareness is the divine flame or the divine spark, or really God himself. At our deepest essence. I did it this way a few weeks ago, but uh, let's look at it this way. At the moment that I was born, (laughs) getting ready to celebrate another trip around the sun, and I found out from Julie that I can get younger by practicing appreciation and gratitude and compassion, so I've been working on that. So I figured I got younger this year. I have cultivated more appreciation and more compassion this year than at any other time in my life. So therefore, I choose to believe I'm actually a year younger. Some of you are visiting like, what in the world is he talking about? At any rate, when I was born, I became a point of consciousness that uh, in, the, in the earth, a point of awareness that then progresses through life all the days, all the years of my life. Uh, as the receiver, the recipient, or the experiencer of that particular point of consciousness that I am. Does that make sense? I'll make it really simple for you. Everywhere you go, there you are. (laughs) And while we share experiences with one another, we are the only ones that have the totality of our life experience up to this point. We're the only ones that will experience the totality of our life experience going forward. The book of Proverbs says it this way. The book of Proverbs says that no, that the heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. 
The heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. So God has chosen, by making us individuals, God has chosen to make us uniquely, totally self-sufficient. Uniquely and totally self-sufficient so that we can have it no other way. So, okay, let me do it simpler. Let's do it this way. If you don't like you, you're going to have a really miserable existence. If you don't like you, if you don't love you, you're going to have a miserable existence because everywhere you go, you're carrying that with you. And so that becomes a part of every experience that you and I have. And no amount of love that you or I receive from another human being or another source will ever change us if we don't like ourselves, if we don't learn to love ourselves. You would, you and I, I mean, if there's one thing that's for sure, you and I will face our own death alone. You can keep yourself occupied with relationships all you want to. Some people, they're so, they, they're so needy for relationships, when nobody else is around, they turn on the TV and they relate to TV characters. I'm going to say that again. Some people are so needy for relationship that even when nobody else is around, they turn on the TV and live these vicarious relationships with people on the TV show. And a lot of that is merely an escape to get away from yourself. And so what we end up doing is we end up disowning our power in every instance. One of the worst ways that we give up our power is we victimize ourselves. We make ourselves victims in our own mind. And one of the ways that we do that is by blaming and accusing and judging. See, every time I blame, I make myself a victim. If there's somebody else to blame, I'm yielding, I'm surrendering, I'm disowning my power. Every time I blame somebody. Every time I blame somebody, I make myself a victim. Every time I judge, think about it this way. If if I stand in the seat of judgment, or the place of judgment, there has to be a recipient of that judgment, right? Now, if I make a mistake and I judge myself as insufficient, I judge myself as unlovable, I judge myself as uh, pathetic, as uh, hopeless, as powerless, as whatever, then I also victimize myself because there has to be a recipient of my own judgment. Did I lose you? Am I, is, is this too complex? So once I become the recipient of my own judgment, I become a victim again and I surrender my power. And when I have no power, I've got to find somebody to blame. And every time I blame somebody for my experience, I'm giving them the power to dictate to me how I feel about myself. I'm giving them the power to dictate to me what my future is going to be. I'm giving them the power to decide my decisions. So the reality is, is that you and I will choose how we experience life or someone else will choose it for us. We will make choices out of empowerment or choices will be made for us. And the, and, and, and basic level like Christianity 101 was Jesus came to set you free to give you choice, to empower you to let your yes be yes and your no be no, to fully empower you to live your life as you choose. That's why he never forces anything on you. Jesus could have just come, or God could have just come somehow and, and given us this, this life where we would never die. But Jesus said in the passage that we just read, whoever obeys my word will not taste death. See, he makes something available, but he leaves you at the place of choice and at the place of ownership. You have to own it. Right? 
Okay, now, can you go a little bit deeper with me? Because it's one thing for us. I mean, we can all see this, right? So if, if, if things don't work out for me in ministry, I can always blame people. Really? I can always say, here I was, giving it my best, doing everything I knew to do, and people were talking about me behind my back. Here I was, doing my best to share the revelation that God gave me, and people went out and said, I didn't say something I didn't even say. Telling me I believe something, telling people I believe stuff that I don't even believe. And I can blame them for my lack of success or whatever. If, if, if there's breakdown in family relationships, I can blame the member of the family. If they would have just done this, that, or the other thing, then everything would be okay. And so what we like to do, and some people, some people prefer sympathy over empowerment. I'm going to say that again. Some people prefer sympathy over empowerment. We become addicted to sympathy. There's a certain uh, feeling uh, that we get or a high that we get off of sympathy. So we set up situations where we don't have to own our choices or own our decisions so that we can blame somebody else. We can shift the blame over to them. Then we can stand over here as innocent and, oh, we were just trying. And after all, we were just trying to help out. And look at how they treated us. And we do all that. And we don't own our choices. And so we... We surrender our power in those moments. And when we surrender those powers, we suffer from the worst case of amnesia. That we don't know who we are. If there's anything that Jesus came to do, and this is in some of the other, you know, okay. So we have four Gospels. You know why we have four Gospels in our Bible? Because when the Council of Nicaea got together to decide which Gospels were legitimate... <laughs> they couldn't decide because there were several Gospels that had been written by the Apostles. And there was a church father, three centuries removed from them, by the name of Irenaeus, and he said there are four Gospels. He had just a random statement in one of his letters. There are four Gospels. You know, if you took everything that someone said, like if you took everything that I recorded when I was trying to teach people, and I say something on, under inspiration... Right? And then you make a law out of it, you're going to have trouble. So Irenaeus, in one of his letters, he just says, there are four Gospels like there are four directions of the wind, like there are four corners of the earth. So when they're trying to put the Bible together in 400 AD, it's amazing the church survived for 400 years without a Bible, but anyway, that's a topic for another day. When they were putting the Bible together, they weren't sure what Gospels to do. And there's one tradition or story about Nicaea. There was this big argument about which ones should be allowed to be part of the canon of Scripture and which ones should not be. And they could not decide. So they went away for the night. And they came back and there were four uh, of the Gospels sitting off by themselves that someone happened to notice. And it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So they said, that's it. And they settled on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It really was almost a roll of the dice. Now, it's not to say they're not legitimate Gospels. I believe that they are. It's not to say that they're not accurate records of our Savior's life and teaching, because I believe that it probably is. But there are other Gospels out there. There are other writings of John, the Apostle, out there. And in one of John's writings, he's talking about an encounter with the risen Christ. So one of the things that frustrated me, are you guys doing okay with this? One of the things that frustrated me when I would read the scriptures is it would say in the book of Acts that the risen Christ would take his disciples aside and taught them about the kingdom of God, but we have no idea what they taught. Isn't that's kind of unfair, isn't it? We're supposed to go out and preach and understand the kingdom. They didn't get it, obviously. So Jesus hangs around and starts teaching them about the kingdom after he's raised from the dead. And we don't have a clue what he said. 
Because it's recorded for us. It is recorded, but it's recorded in documents that the church decided you could not have. And I'm going to tell you, part of the reason the church decided you could not have them was because it was awakening you to your empowerment. It was awakening you to your self-sufficiency. And if you could realize that you were a divine spark, and you were a divine flame, and you were a divine breath, and you wouldn't need a state-sponsored Roman Catholic priest to negotiate for you your salvation. They never would have been able to sell indulgences. There never would have been a Protestant Reformation because the Catholic Church would have never been in the position to sell indulgences if they had not first been the brokers of information and told you that you were cursed if you read another gospel other than the one that they chose and decided that you should have. Oh, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting. So in the early church, there's the Apocryphon of John, where John has an encounter with the risen Christ, and he says, the reason I came is because humanity has forgotten. They have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten who their source is. They have forgotten where they came from. They have forgotten their self-sufficiency and empowerment. They have forgotten that they are a divine spark and a divine flame, and that the purpose of... And that the purpose of all religion is to awaken your own divine nature. Not separate from God, not other than God. That's why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you look at a vine, what do you see? You see the branches. We don't have the visuals, so we miss it. And we somehow think there's still separation. There's not separation. In your essence, you are Christ. In your essence, you are Christ. That's what Paul said. Don't believe me? Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as the body is one body, but many members of that one body, so also is... Christ. And unfortunately for us, our interpreters left out the definite article, because in the Greek there's a definite, definite article, so it actually reads this way. Just as the body is one body with many members, so also is the Christ. You are the body of the Christ. There is a, in, in solid, orthodox, Biblical Christianity, there is a distinction between the, between Christ, oh, help me Lord, help me get this out. In, in orthodox Christian thinking, there is a distinction between Christ and Jesus. Because Christ is bigger than the person of Jesus. Don't get mad at me. Read what Paul wrote. Why do you think Paul is emphasizing in Colossians? By him all things were made. Or John, in, in 1 John, or I'm sorry, in John's Gospel. By him all things were made, and without him nothing that was made has been made. Why do you think Paul says, in him is the fullness of God, or that he was the creator and redeemer of all things. So what Jesus was, Jesus was the human anchor point of Christ in order to bring about a revelation that would help humanity to remember who we were so that we could own our power and awaken to who we actually are. And 
our faith. In, 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 in the first century, you, you gotta understand, the first century was, it was very philosophical, much more philosophical. I mean, those guys were brilliant. We have a tendency to look at ancient people like they're, like they're knuckleheads. Like they're cavemen, like we're so much more advanced and developed. Go read Plato, and like read the real stuff, not the watered down version of stuff that they gave you to read in high school. Go read, uh, I can't think of the Jewish guy's name right now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> read, uh, the, they, were, they were full of philosophies, and, and, and they were very religious people and philosophical people, and, and, Christianity was known as the religion of the light. And people were known as the followers of the way. And a few centuries later, the, the empire, the Roman Empire is crumbling, right? It's losing power. Centuries. Everybody say centuries. Everybody say longer than America's been around. Three, almost 400 years later, well, 300 years later, yeah, almost 300 years later, one of the emperors named Constantine goes into battle and he claims to see a cross in the sky. And he makes this promise, if I win this battle, Christ will become the God of the empire and he'll make and and his goal was to make Christianity the compulsory religion of the state to move it away from emperor worship because emperor worship wasn't working anymore to christian worship so constantine goes out and wins so what he does is he reconsolidates watch this he reconsolidates the roman empire through a form of religion that says the only way that you can be saved is if a state, state-sponsored religious authority baptizes you, baptizes your children, remits your sins, and gives you communion. And the state-sponsored bishops will tell you what books you can read and how you can think. And we still have the Roman Catholic Church today. And we're trying, there's been centuries of movements to try to, I think, restore the essence of what Jesus was trying to accomplish because what he was was he was the anchor point for Christ in the earth he was the anchor point of that empowerment he was the anchor point of that love he was not here to be the exception he was here to be the example He was not here to get our eyes off of who we are and onto Him. He was here to hold up a mirror for us to help us remember because we've forgotten who we actually are. Because if we understood who we were, if we understood who we were, we would never allow ourselves to function as a a powerless person. Again, 
We would never allow ourselves to function in judgment or blaming or victimization. So watch this. So Jesus is trying to show us who he is. And by showing us who he is, showing us also who we are. He's coming as the image of the divine and we worshiped him because we forgot that all of humanity was created as the image of the divine. So when we read in Hebrews and it says he is the full image of who God is, we think they're talking about his divinity, but he's really talking about his humanity. Or is he talking about divinity because they're really, you can't distinguish them that much. So watch this. So Jesus shows up and he says, he's, he basically, they look at him and they say, are you greater than our father Abraham? See, Abraham peered into my day. When did he do that? When did, when did he do that? See, Abraham was able to transcend his human limitations and by his faith break a barrier of reproduction to give birth to Isaac. Right? So he tapped into a human potential that had previously not been manifested. Abraham saw my day and was glad. To to a Jewish person, they understand what he's saying because Isaac's name means laughter. And when the angel came and gave him the news, there was joy in the house. So when did he see his day? When he transcended what he had been told was only possible to human beings and stepped into what was only possible for God. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You're, only, you're not even 50 years old yet. Are you, are you greater than our father Abraham? And Jesus makes the most amazing statement. He says, he says before Abraham was, I am. He's operating out of, I'm going to say it this way, an I am consciousness. But it's not just an I am consciousness that's only available to him. It's to take the the veil off. It's to take the seals off. It's to take the blinders off. So that if we could see the I am manifested in the person of Jesus, we could also understand that before Abraham was, I am. And before Abraham was, you were. Because the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, he chose us in himself. If we came out from him, if we came from his breath, then we have an eternal existence. The Bible says, God, by Jeremiah, he says, Behold, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And that word in the Hebrew means no, without beginning and without ending. How could you be loved without a beginning if you only... How could He love us eternally? How could He love us without a beginning if we began on the day of our birth? We became incarnate and got amnesia on the day of our birth. And forgot who we were. So that you absolutely have every bit as much an I am presence as Jesus. So that real empowerment comes when I begin to focus on the fact that I am an eternal being. That I am connected every moment of my life to unconditional love. 
That I am connected to every moment of my life. I am connected to unlimited divine power. That every moment of my life, there is never a moment in my life that I am not supported. There is never a moment in your life that you are alone, that you are abandoned, that that, that you do not have an infinite fountain of love, an infinite fountain of joy, an infinite fountain of ability, an infinite fountain of wisdom, an infinite fountain of grace flowing into you by your essence every single moment of your existence. Everything you go through, that same power is available to you. You are no less powerful when you are in the valley than when you are on the mountaintop. In fact, when you get an I am Christ consciousness and you begin to wake up to the reality of who you are, you can begin to do some things in the Bible that the Bible tells us to do that never made any sense to me. Like, you can begin to rejoice in every circumstance. You can begin to thank God for all things. Why? How can we do that? Because when I realize my own I am presence, it changes everything. It changes the narrative about me. It changes my experience in every circumstance. And therefore, it changes the meaning that I choose to assign to whatever I'm going through. So that when I'm in my darkest time and I'm feeling the most afraid and I'm feeling the most the, the weakness and I can attach myself, I can choose to forget who I am and I can believe the lie that is in front of me about weakness. I can believe the lie that's being presented to me about limitation. I can yield myself to the pain that I'm experiencing so that my identity becomes amalgamated to my pain. So that I cannot even talk about myself without talking about what's happened to me. I cannot even talk about myself without talking about all the horrible things that somebody did to me. I cannot even talk about myself because I've surrendered my power. I have traded my power for sympathy and sympathy has become my new drug. And so I'm going to tell anybody that might be sympathetic my story and how innocent I am and how horrible everybody else was to me so I can milk sympathy from them so that I can feel something because I've disconnected connected mentally and emotionally from my own power, even though it's always available to me, I've just forgotten who I am. So when I'm in the valley, I can say, you know what this valley is here for? You know what this valley is here for? This valley is here to remind me that I am not my pain. That I am greater than my circumstances. That I am one day closer to not getting my identity from outside myself. Not get my identity from what other people think about me. Not get my identity from how many accolades I'm getting. Not get my identity from how much sympathy I'm able to extract. Not getting my identity from my parents and what they told me about myself. Not getting my identity from my teachers and how they limited me. That when I'm going through physical suffering, I can say thank you for the suffering because it's breaking off of me that which has deluded me, that which has hypnotized me. And it is helping me to remember who I 
am. So every circumstance I can say, thank you for helping me remember who I am. Thank you for helping me remember to love myself. Thank you for helping me to remember that I'm powerful. Thank you for helping me to remember that before Abraham was, before I had a national identity, before I had a people that I belonged to that are now rejecting me, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Jesus is saying, I transcend my national identity. He was not a Zionist, I hate to tell you. You know what a Zionist is. The land belongs to the Jews and we need to do everything in our power, including murder people, to make sure they get it back. Funny, Jesus was living during a time of Roman occupation. And the reason they were so legalistic is that they needed scapegoats for why. (laughs) See, legalism is the power of the powerless. Because if we can figure out what I we didn't cross, what what I we didn't dot, see, I messed up already. What I we didn't dot, what T we didn't cross. If we can figure out who's carrying their mat on the Sabbath and shouldn't be. If we can figure out who's eating uh, lobster. I'm serious. That's what the Jews were doing. Then we can blame someone that we're under Roman occupation. And Jesus comes and totally changes the conversation. He totally changes the conversation with that one statement. Before Abraham was, I am. But because Christians have been so mind-manipulated by state and political powers, it is easy for those with political agendas to take our own faith and turn it around on us and subject us to their agendas so that we go along with it thinking that we're serving God. That's a good place to say amen. amen. <laughs> You've got to understand, everybody else has an agenda for you. Everybody does. And the powers that be are scared to death of people that are going to wake up and realize who they are and what they're capable of. So we just keep putting out disinformation, or they, sorry, they just keep putting out disinformation to tell us how powerless we are and how we need to get behind their agendas if we want to be acceptable to God. And we just keep buying it. <laughs> Does that make sense, some sense to you? See, when I start to be thankful for my circumstances and situations, the people in my life, I stop blaming them. The person who moves, one of the most, one of the most simple things you can do to move from victim blame mentality to a mentality of empowerment when you're dealing with, you know, those people, you know, those people that are always picking on you, those people that won't live right and do right. And if they just do right, everything would be fine. You know, those guys. If you could just shift and say every person that's in my life is a lesson 
and a revelation to me. And I can look at those people and say, what are you here to show me about myself? What are you here to teach me? What are you here to give me? Then I begin to embrace everything in my life with appreciation. And if Julie's right, as we're appreciating, we're getting younger. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, she did a message where there's this a whole body of scientific research that just by stimulating an emotion of appreciation, you turn on your immune system, you relax your DNA, you turn on an anti-aging chemical that they only discovered within the last four years that the lady that discovered it won a Nobel Prize. Amen. That she figured out there actually is an anti-aging chemical that repairs your DNA. Our problem is it's not activated. But some of it does activate when you live out of appreciation. And maybe all of it activates when you begin to connect to that I am presence. And remember fully who you are. But you have to own it. The religion taught us to give it away. Oh, it's not me. It's just Jesus. I mean, in simple little ways. That was, Robbie, you did an awesome job leading worship today. Thank you. Oh, well, it's just the Lord. Well, there was other people that chose to stay in bed that could have sang, you know. But they chose to stay in bed. So, it wasn't Jesus up there leading us into worship. But do you see how... How much we're subdued and taught to disown our power? If I feel good about myself, if I love myself, that's arrogance. That's pride. If I'm confident that I can do a good job in something, that's, that's not being humble. Is this making sense to you? Maybe when John the Baptist said, I'll leave you with this. Maybe when John the Baptist said, people always quote this one. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, pointing to Jesus, and he must increase. Maybe the biblical writers put that in there to help us realize that in order for the Christ in us to increase, our conceptualization of who we are through the domestication of our culture must decrease. Oh, I don't think you got that. See, I didn't even pick my name. You guys say Aaron and I respond, but I'm not Aaron. That's just the name I was given so you guys can know how to relate to me and I can know how to relate to you. And if I chose to, I could go change it. And with that crazy video that was going around with AA Ron, I thought about it a few times. I know. I need to get healed. I'm, I'm, vic- I'm victim. <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? I didn't, I didn't choose English. English was chosen for me. I didn't choose to be an American. America was chosen for me. I'm thankful to be an American, but what right do I have to be proud to be an American? I didn't choose it. 
some of you missed the part where I said I'm thankful to be an American. Because I just hit some of that programming. To get, uh, do I want to say that? I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that. We're not ready to hear that. So John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase. So the proportion to which I can minimize <clears throat> the things that give me a sense of identity that's part of my enculturation, that's part of the domestication of the world that I've been brought into. In other words, the less I surrender my thinking about who I am to somebody else who tells me who I am. Somebody told me my name was Aaron. Somebody told me I couldn't do arithmetic. Somebody told me all kinds of limiting messages that formed the way I carry myself in the world. And the more I'm able to surrender that, the more I'm able to honor the essence of who I am, which is the I am presence. Or it works the other way, too, because actually we misquote it. John didn't say, I must decrease and he must increase. He actually said it the other way around. He must increase and I must decrease. So I can choose two paths. I can diminish who I am in the natural. Does that make sense to you? And increase who I am in reality and remember. Or I can focus on the I am presence and let the I am presence in me increase. And as that increases, the other just naturally begins to decrease and diminish and fall away. It all depends on where I put my focus. I'm about out of a voice today. God is good. <laughs> you are good. We love you. I'm so thankful for every one of you that's here. And it is my hope and my prayer that this will activate your memory to help you remember who you are. Last illustration I'll give. When I was, <clears throat> when I was uh, 18, I was going to Adams State College. <clears throat> and, you know, they, they bring entertainment in for... Uh, Students. And some of the entertainment that they brought in for us was a stage hypnotist. Anybody ever seen a stage hypnotist? And I remember he had this flashing light, and I was, I was an insecure 18 year old. And so I, I was not going to let myself be hypnotized because I did not know, I did not want to go up there and, I, I didn't want somebody messing in my head, and I didn't want to go up there and make a fool out of myself, right? So I'm like not even looking at the light or listening to the guy because I'm like, you know. <laughs> But he puts this light up there, and then he just walks through this hypnotic in, uh, induction. And then the people that are hypnotized, he starts giving them commands, like stand up, come down here, whatever. And so everybody that kind of got sucked in, they come down. And then he kind of tests them to see how well they're susceptible to suggestion until they limit it down to about uh, just a few people. And I remember he took an onion, and he gave it to a young lady, <clears throat> and he told her it was an apple. Told her it was a juicy apple. And she'd really enjoy eating it. And she sat there and gobbled down that onion. I just thought, oh my God, what did that do? 
You couldn't do that today. You'd have to sign waivers first. <laughs> this was in the 80s, right? And so he convinced this guy that he was John Bon Jovi. And got this guy up there, you know. I thought, wow, what a great moment. That's probably the greatest moment of his life right there, you know. He, and then he convinced all the women that were hypnotized that he was John Bon Jovi. And, you know, they're all 18 or 19 years old, so he had to put a halt to it. But anyway, my point is, if a, the mind is that powerful, that if you accept a suggestion... You can totally enter an experience that has no basis in reality. And essentially, we've all been hypnotized to believe we're somebody we're not. To believe that we're limited. To believe that we're not loved. To believe that we're not lovable or loving. And so now, if we're the victim, we'll sit there and say, oh, those hypnotists. If only my mom hadn't been doing drugs. My mom didn't do drugs. (laughs) If only my dad hadn't left home when I was three. My dad lived with my mom for 56 years. If only I would have been nurtured and supported in school. If only there had been a teacher or a counselor or a coach or somebody that would have believed in me. Then I wouldn't be stuck in this feeling of powerlessness. You can continue to make that choice. Or you can realize before all of that, I am. Before my mom could neglect me, I am. Before my dad could abuse me, I am. Before the teachers could tell me about my potential, I am. Before the church could convince me to surrender my power and call it humility, I am. Before the government could go crazy and take away my benefits, (laughs) I am. Before people in the church couldn't learn how to grow up and act right. I am. Before all those people lied about me and false accused me, falsely accused me, I am. And I can make the choice every moment of my life to own my power. And if I own my power, there's absolutely nothing that can stop me from changing my life. Let's stand up. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God is good, isn't he?